Hey folks, and welcome to the Blue Light Podcast. This is the place to discover all you need to know about the police recruitment process. I'm Brendan from Blue Light, and over the past several years, I've been coaching and supporting people for the police recruitment process. Over 4,000 people, it's probably getting on for 5,000 people, and now in the police service as a result of my support. So it's something that's been an absolute privilege and an honour to do to help support people in this way. And before that, as a sergeant, as an inspector, as a tutor constable, I've been supporting people for over 30 years to succeed in recruitment, in specialist interviews, in promotion boards. It's been a pleasure, and I hope I continue to serve through these podcasts. So today, what are we going to be talking about? Well, I'd like to introduce you to a few friends of mine. These are Sarah, Pat, and Tpac. Sarah, Pat, and Tpac. And you might be thinking, how is that relevant to police recruitment? Well, over here in the UK, uh, in England and Wales, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, people who want to join the police are now having to do an online assessment process. This involves multiple choice questions about what would you do if, that's stage one, and then stage two, you move into an interview that's not an interview because you're not actually being interviewed by anyone, you're uploading an answer to a question over the space of five minutes onto a video and then that gets uploaded to an assessor who assesses you remotely. They might be assessing you that evening over some cheese and biscuits and a glass of Rioja. Who knows? But it's nothing like an interview. So five questions that you've got to answer there. And then the part that I think is really interesting is the stage three. And this is where you're going to be presented with two parts. One is written and one is a briefing exercise. Uh, it's not really a briefing, actually. So it's, it's a briefing that's not a briefing. Pretty much like the interview that's not an interview. So what these involve, and this is what the College of Policing tell us already, is that you are going to be playing the part of a constable and you're going to be presented with a community-type issue to deal with. Now, it's going to have to be fairly complex because in a written exercise, Although it says you've got 40 minutes to do it and the guidance from the College of Policing, you actually have two hours. So I'm not quite sure what happened there, but candidates are telling me that I've had two, I had two hours to do it in. And what they're finding is that they're quite enjoying it. And the reason why they're quite enjoying it is because although I have no idea what the scenario is all about, it's probably going to be some problem-solving conundrum in the community that you've got to write about in terms of how you would approach it. And don't think it's going to be simple. There'll be conflicting information. There'll be conflicting points of view. And you've got to work your way through all of this. And why would you not enjoy that? Because that's what you want to be. You want to be a constable doing that kind of work. So why would you not enjoy working through that? The briefing exercise is similar, except that you are going to be presented with a variety of community conundrums again, community-based problems, and I'm quite sure they're going to be a little bit more complex than uh, a neighbourhood dispute or uh, children playing outside, playing football or something like that, because you're going to be asked a total of 12 questions. As that scenario develops, you're going to be asked 12 questions and you've got one minute to think about the question and your answer, and then you've got three minutes to present it. And again, there's no one at the other end. There is no human interaction anywhere in this assessment process and I, I, I think that's a massive failing by the way because for a role that involves so much human interaction 
to have an assessment process to decide whether you're suitable for that role that has no human interaction makes no sense at all to me at all no sense no sense at all so other forces at the moment individual forces they are formulating their own wraparound assessment processes around this system which involve situational interviews now that's not them giving you a scenario and saying uh, write about it or upload a video and tell us how you deal with it they are interacting with them and saying so what would your your approach be there why would you do it that way um what would the impact of this issue be on others and they're going to ask you loads of probing questions and when you take it in a certain direction they may probe even further and say that's an interesting thing that you've said there what exactly do you mean by that or how do you think that would impact on other people oh i'd love to be that interviewer because you could really really get a good feel for whether this person's in the, their heart is in the role we're not asking you to be a trained up constable we're just seeing if you've got the potential to see if you've got the behaviors that are required and importantly the values that are required as well so good for those forces that are doing that good for those forces that are doing that but anyway let's get back to the college of policing assessment process where there's no human interaction nothing there's no one at the other end folks you've got a period of maybe a week to do each one of the assessments you could do it at four o'clock in the morning there's no remote monitoring no checks and balances anyway look the thing is it is what it is and the golden rule applies those who hold the gold make the rules well the college of policing have made the rules because they hold the gold and so how are we going to deal with these community-based conundrums so this is my old area of business i was a neighborhood inspector for several years i then went on to the strategic change branch in greater manchester police where i did work on strategic problem solving and nudging the problem solving methodology that the force used or didn't use to one that was more citizen focused more one that was more involving of citizens um if you want to look it up look up the concepts around co-production and asset-based community development now more about those um methodologies for tackling community conundrums another time that's subject of another podcast but i want to introduce you to some very very simple comp uh, concepts before we even go on to look at those more challenging ones and these are the concepts that involve my friends sarah pat and tpac so if you google police problem solving what it should bring up is the sarah methodology for solving problems and this is what we're looking at on my webinars so i run webinars with groups of people who are preparing for the online assessment process I'm not giving them the answers or anything like that because I don't even know what the scenarios are about, but I can kind of work backwards from the competencies and the values that you are being assessed against and from the role profile that you're given as to what the role of a constable will involve. And from there, I can kind of work backwards and think, right, so what would this exercise involve? And I'm absolutely convinced that if you follow this guidance, then you will have no problem whatsoever. You'll have plenty to talk about or plenty to write about. So, Sarah, what does that stand for? Well, this is a problem-solving methodology, and it came out of some work uh, that uh, was spawned from a paper um, authored by a guy called Herman Goldstein back in the late 70s, who suggested that the, the concept of lock them up, bang them up, you know go out and get more bad guys is all well and good i mean that's a core function of the police but if you're not doing something to prevent these issues from happening in the first place you'll just be dealing with the same thing in five years time 
And wasn't it uh, Albert Einstein who said that the definition of madness is doing the same thing today that you did yesterday and expecting a different result? So if you're doing the same thing all the time, then you're just going to get the same results and you'd be dealing with the same problems five years' time, 10 years' time, 15 years' time. And so he suggested that there should be a more problem-orientated approach to problem-solving, and this would necessarily involve partner agencies and indeed citizens, the community. And so... Out of that came the whole um, discipline, if you like, of problem-orientated policing. It later morphed into problem-orientated partnerships, and certainly here in the UK, it became a big thing. Um, I remember going to some of the award ceremonies uh, that were called the Tilly Awards, and this was after the sort of godfather of problem-solving in this country, Nick Tilly. So... They advocate certain models and certain practices that have been demonstrated to work, not just practically, but there's a academic evidence base, there's a research base that says this works. And so what SARA stands for is a process, it's very very simplistic, and I think the reason why the police like it is it kind of spells a word. Um, and the first part is scanning. So this is about defining the problem. Uh, and then we move into the analysis. So let's analyse the problem now and look at the causes and even go back further and start thinking about the causes of the causes. Um, from there, we can base a really good response on our sound analysis. And then, of course, we need to know whether that response is working. And so we need to assess what we're doing to see if it's actually having some form of impact. So there you go, that's Sarah, and um, often called the uh, small less big R model in policing circles, because what tends to happen, what tends to happen, and it's not just me saying this based on my experience, but there's, there's, there's research out there that suggests this, is that the police will do a small amount of scanning, and then because of the urgency behind something, they'll jump straight into a set of responses without knowing whether those responses have any link whatsoever with the analysis that they should have done and without doing any form of um, sound assessment to see whether the response has actually had the desired impact, to see whether it has value and worth beyond just merit. So one of the problems here is that without that analysis, you're doing things and you're not quite sure whether what you're doing is going to work or not. It's just a sort of a shot in the dark, if you like. So there's um, a load of research around this. I'm not going to bore you with the research around it. I love the research around it, by the way. This is this is my bedtime reading. So the scanning part, um, we need to be really precise about what the problem is. So just saying that an area is a problem is too vague, it's too imprecise. So one of the things I'd often see as a police officer is things like uh, there's antisocial behaviour outside the off-licence, outside the shop that sells alcohol and the police need to deal with it. Well, that's, that's kind of identifying the problem, but we know where, and we know... Hmm, we don't know who the people are. We don't know who the uh, perpetrators are, who the victims are. We, we don't know that much about the problem. And then we may define it further and say it's young people. Well, we can't just say young people are a problem, so we need to drill down until we get to the point where it's young people aged between the age of 14 and 18 who are congregating in this area between the hours of 5 o'clock and 8 o'clock in the evenings, mostly on Friday and Saturday evenings, and they're asking older people, adults, to purchase alcohol on their behalf, and then once they purchase that alcohol, they're going to a local park and causing... I don't know, whatever it might be. We need to drill down and determine exactly what the problem is. So from there, 
we can start looking at our analysis. And this is where I'm going to introduce you to my friend Pat. So Pat stands for the Problem Analysis Triangle. We start thinking about the problem from different perspectives, from both the place, so what makes this place attractive for this particular problem, uh, from the offender's perspective, what is it about the offender or, or the situation or problem that's motivating the offender to commit that crime or commit that act of disorder or whatever it might be? And then who's a victim? Who's a victim here? And why is this victim so much of a victim when other people aren't? So what is it about this victim that makes him a victim? And so we're we're drilling deep from these three different perspectives. Now, where things get confusing is things like homelessness. And these are some of the community conundrums I've had to deal with in the past. And they're really, really complex, often called wicked problems. And um, I'll talk to you about wicked problems another time. These are problems that are so complex that you've got to be really well-read and really well-informed uh, about that particular type of problem, issue, in the community just to be undecided about what you're going to do next now that might sound like a load of ridiculous nonsense that the more informed you're about it surely you'd know exactly what to do no i mean if we take something like homelessness if you line up different professionals from different sectors mental health professionals will say it's a mental health problem uh, police officers will say it's a crime problem because of the crime they're committing and the disorder environmental uh, experts will say well the environmental damage they leave because of the defecation in doorways and urinating and things like that is enormous do you see what i mean doesn't matter where you look where you are will determine how you see that problem and how you describe it line up 10 different professionals you'll get 10 different descriptions of what that problem is it's a wicked problem so in terms of things like homelessness just i'm just using that as an example are they offenders or are, 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 are they actually victims? Because if we start looking back at the circumstances that they've been in their childhood, we find that there's things like adverse childhood experiences in play here, ACEs. So adverse childhood experiences, uh, I'll do another uh, podcast on that at some point in the future, but it almost like predicts that if you have these different things that happen to you in your life, you're more likely than not to end up in prison, incarcerated, um, with lots of convictions, mental health problems, drug and alcohol problems. So it's almost predictive. So if we can kind of predict it, we can start putting in interventions, early interventions, to prevent those things happening in the first place. So anyway, there you go. There's something about analysis. And on the webinars, we go into this in huge amount of detail, huge amount of detail. So now what about our response? Well, now I'm going to introduce you to my friend TPAC. TPAC. Uh, you won't find this if you Google it, by the way. You'll find the problem analysis triangle. You'll find uh, SARA, but you won't find TPAC. TPAC is an amalgam of my professional experience, not just in the police, but in the work I've done with the European Union and the work I continue to do with councils and police forces as a, as a consultant to... Um, help them move their problem-solving capability from one that's more uh, deficit-based to one that's more asset-based. So more about that on another podcast. But so what, what I, I started thinking, actually, people like models. People like something they can hang the hat on. So based on all the evidence that's out there, and some of the evidence is enormous, you know, massive, massive amounts of research into social capital theory, community organising, asset-based approaches to community development, all the problem-solving methodologies that the police have got access to, uh, all the stuff that's outside of the police sector as well, and my experience as a neighbourhood inspector and all the other work I've done, 
I developed a model called TPAC, and what this stands for is trust building. Trust building. So without trust in the community, if you are apart from the community, as opposed to being a part of it, then there's a big issue. There's a big problem because very little of what you do is going to have any form of impact whatsoever because you're not seen as a legitimate leader within the community. So trust building is so important. There's various steps to that. This is the hard. This is the hard policing, by the way. This is no, there's nothing soft about trust building. This is really hard and really challenging. From there, we can move into enforcement. So. I'm not just because we're doing trust building and this involves interactions with humans and building up relationships and building up rapport. It doesn't mean to say that we don't like enforcement. I love enforcement. I loved to see doors going in at five o'clock in the morning, tactical aid unit doing window entries, people who've committed very serious and organized crimes being held to account. I love enforcement. But if you're just doing enforcement on its own without prevention, then you'll be doing the same thing, like I said, in five, ten years' time. So we need to get further upstream to prevent those issues happening in the first place. So that's the P. So we've got the T-E-P. Now we come to the A, and this stands for advocacy. So to what extent are you going to act as an advocate for this community to enable it to succeed, to enable it to become the best version of itself it can ever be, to act as the glue that helps bind the community together? to be a conduit for accessing other resources, both financial and physical advocacy. This is a really important part. And again, this is really, really difficult, really, really difficult stuff. Uh, Ian Hopkins, the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police, I hope his ears are burning here, but he gave a, a talk to the Police Foundation about two years ago. Well worth watching if you go to YouTube and just type in Ian Hopkins and Police Foundation. Uh, it'll present you with a talk he gave about place-based working and the role of the citizen and the role of the police and other agencies in that sort of co-produced uh, solution world within communities. And he describes it as the hardest policing he's ever done. So it is. It's tough work, this. Um, the prevention, the, the, the enforcement stuff's easy compared to the trust building and the advocacy. So the last part, the C, this stands for comms, communication, telling the story Developing this narrative and developing the next chapter and bringing people along with you. Comms, comms, comms is so important. And I'm not just talking about a newspaper article. I call it the wagon wheel of social media. So each one of the spokes is a different on the wagon wheel is a different form of social media. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, blogs, podcasts. You're listening to a podcast now. Uh, these are the new means by which people get information and get understanding about what's going on in their world and you can target this incredibly well so social media that's well targeted can get your message across really really effectively compared to a standard press release the amount of forces i see that are just doing standard press releases or something on their website and they may tweet a link to it or they may stick it on the facebook page but it's not really effective the amount of forces I see that do YouTube videos and they're, they're, they're saying, hey, hey, look at this, amazing. After six months, we've had 700 views. Really? You're celebrating that? I'm not quite sure whether they really understand the complexity around social media. And I think there's a view within the police service. I'm sorry if it sounds critical, but this is why I see that if we put the message out there, people will read it. No, they won't. <laughs> they won't, you know. You know, if we build it, they will come. No, they won't. 
so you've got to really target your message to the right people in the right place whether it be the victims the offenders or the police so comms really important so there you go folks there is tpac my friend tpac now with all of these processes what we look at in the webinars is how that you don't do these in a linear way um nick tilly you know, like, like the grandfather, the godfather of uh, problem solving in the United Kingdom, and certainly very influential in the rest of uh, the world in terms of police problem solving, described in one of the papers that he authored how problem solving should be a lot messier. How it's never intended that the SARA model should be a linear process. It should be more of an iterative process going to and fro. So you do your scanning, but the best way to find out more about the problem is to go actually out there and put a response in place and then see what the result is and analyze it so you're going back to the scanning and then you're analyzing it again and then you're doing another response and then you're assessing the response and then that's feeding back into your scanning and can you see what i mean that you're, you're kind of doing it all at once tpac isn't a model where i think you've got to do the trust building first and then you can do the enforcement no you do all of it at the same time and that's what makes it so fascinating because you're doing this problem solving at a level which is just so so super complex and so detailed and it needs to be if you're tackling complex complex social problems with other partner agencies because things like crime and homelessness I'm not saying all people are homeless commit crime, by the way. I'm not, I don't want that to be the inference, but a lot of the issues have deep seated um, causal um, issues within mental health or marriage breakdowns or domestic violence or sexual violence or PTSD after leaving the, leaving the military. These are hugely, hugely complex problems. You can't apply simple solutions to complex problems and expect the problem to go away. With wicked problems, you don't expect it to go away at all. You're either making the situation better or worse, but you're never going to eradicate it completely. I mean, wouldn't it be a wonderful place, this this world that we're in, if we could eradicate homelessness completely? But do any of you really believe that we're going to do that? And so this is why we need to have this level of complexity behind our problem solving. And it works. Trust me, it works. It's hard work, but I've been there. And it's so satisfying when you get members of the community talking to you about how much better it feels to be in wherever it is. Or they actually come to you and say, do you know, I actually love living here now. Trust me, these are golden moments in your career. When you get people saying things like that, that I, I love living here. I love the sense of connection. I love feeling like I'm part of something wonderful absolutely wonderful you can't buy that folks and that's why policing is such a special special career it's the best job in the world i'll share that with you it's the best job in the world so anyway folks i hope you've enjoyed this and got something out of it um okay it might sound a bit deep but listen you need to research this stuff if you want to be a police officer you need to research this stuff there's some forces out there who actually ask you what problem solving methodology do we utilize to solve problems in this force or can you give me an example of some of the problem solving that we've done that's involved partner agencies these are questions that forces will legitimately ask and you need to get off your backside and do the research and take a look at these things but i know and that's why i'm here because the thing is you might be thinking well i don't know what i don't know well you do now don't you so after this decide what action you're going to take start researching sarah start researching pat 
I'm afraid you won't be able to research TPAC, but if you follow some of my podcasts in the future where I talk about wicked problems, where I talk about co-production, where I talk about the the challenge of advocacy within communities or the challenge of trust building, I'll talk about these sort of things in future podcasts. I don't want to go too far away from police recruitment, though, but these are things that you need to know about. Listen, the police don't owe you a living. You're going to have to earn that warrant card. You're going to have to earn that badge. Don't think that they're going to present it to you on a silver platter. You need to demonstrate your worth and your value to the people who are assessing you and interviewing you. And with my help, I'll help you get there. Anyway, listen, I hope you've enjoyed this. If you'd like to find out a lot more about what's going on in police recruitment, please come and join a very special group. It's the Blue Light Police Recruitment Facebook support group. There's now over 11,000 members Yes, 11,000 members in that group. Can you believe it? 11,000 members in that group. Absolutely incredible. So come and join us in that group. Uh, There's a link in the blurb that's attached to this podcast. Uh, Click on it. Tell us why you want to join the group, and I'll let you in, and I'll see you in there. I'd be delighted to see you in there and join over. There's hundreds of posts every week. I think there's something like 350, 400 posts every week. I can't keep up with it, but what a great place to be. That's the place to learn all you need to know about police recruitment. Oh, as well as this podcast. So I'll see you next week at the next one. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, Keep safe. Look after each other. And if you're out there as a key worker, thank you from my heart. Thank you from my heart. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye for now.